conference, this family camp. I guess it is a Bible conference. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be looking at the same passage that Pastor Keller looked at uh, from a different angle, slightly different angle. One of the... uh, I don't know if it's a blessing or not, but, but it's, it's kind of interesting to be the, the clean-up batter uh, during this week, someone who uh, gets to uh, give the last message, because I think one of, the, one of the signs of good Bible teaching is that it is thought-provoking. And after listening to uh, Dr. Bergsma and the other pastors as, as they've brought their messages throughout the week, I've had so many other thoughts about what my topic was, I, I almost scrapped this whole message and started from scratch. And uh, I hope uh, that I'm able to add some things uh, to uh, the outline or to, uh, to my uh, prepared outline uh, that don't destroy the, uh, the continuity of it and the, the flow of it. But uh, please bear with me. But uh, I guess that's a, that's a danger of listening to good men exercise their prophetic role. Ephesians chapter 5, let's begin at verse 22 and go through verse 33, the end of the chapter. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Here we end the reading of God's word. I'd like to begin tonight by uh, just a few introductory remarks on realistic expectations. Realistic expectations. First of all, I would like to approach this message on keeping your marriage fresh, as if I were an expert in that area. Well, we've had 14 years of good, good marriage, good family life. I don't know if that makes me an expert, but I hope I've learned something in in those 14 years. My wife did say, though, she wasn't leaving this meeting tonight. She wanted to uh, keep an eye on me and make sure I didn't get carried away. Um, let's approach this, though, with some uh, realistic expectations. First of all, a realistic expectation about what I'm going to say. 
It's awfully uh, common today when you deal with a subject of you know, practical importance like keeping your marriage fresh or some aspect of family life, some aspect of relationships uh, between people, uh, to think that the answer to doing whatever you want to do, in this case keeping your marriage fresh, is to follow a checklist of procedures, things to do. You know, if you're involved in business or uh, even if you're not involved in business, if you're a homemaker, uh, it's helpful to uh, begin your day by making a, thing, a list of things that you have to accomplish today. You refer back to that list. I've checked this off, I've accomplished this, now I need to get on with this particular job. Uh, I found that helpful at, at church. But in dealing with relationships and in dealing with matters that have to do with our spiritual growth and development, I'm afraid little checklists do, just don't cut it. You will find an abundance of books in bookstores, in Christian bookstores, on, you know, three steps to this. How to spend one minute a day being an effective, you fill in the blank. Uh, Twelve steps to, uh, well, you're going to hear a lot more about 12 steps. But I want to deal with this on a different level. Yes, we are, I think, going to make some practical suggestions of things to do for husbands and wives, but... We need to approach it primarily, first off, on the level of our spiritual development. We need to deal with basic principles, principles that we are all aware of, principles that we ought to be seeing in our uh, relationships, not just with wives, but with our other family members, with people that we work with, with people that we go to church, uh, that we fellowship with at church. Don't expect me to give you some list of profound insights and steps to do. Rather, hear the words of Romans 10.8. When Paul talks about the gospel message, he says, The word is near you. Uh, it's in your mouth and in your heart. And many of the things we'll talk to you tonight about are near you already. Things you already know. Things that are in your heart and hopefully in your mouth as well. Another expectation that I would like you to have has to do with the uh, idea of keeping your marriage fresh. Even that title carries with it the idea, uh, there's a connotation there that your honeymoon experiences should be continuing on through years of marriage. You should be kind of on a perpetual trip to Niagara Falls. over the falls sometimes. That is not true. I, I, I kind of have had uh, half in mind to have Barbara Keller start playing, uh, you know, there were bells on the hill, but I never heard them ring. Well, you get the idea. You know, if you think that all through your marriage life, every time you look at your spouse, you should hear the bells and, and stars should come out and little birds and woodland creatures should uh, come around you and spread garlands of joy at your feet. Uh, your first dirty diaper will cure that, believe me. <laughs> so, realistic expectations as far as keeping your marriage fresh. 
has to do with uh, kind of putting that idea to rest. Yes, there are, of course, there are going to be romantic times. There are going to be times, no matter how long you are married and how mature you become, where you will look at that spouse and you will say, what a woman, or what a man. And I think, though, the more mature we become and the more we develop and uh, grow in grace, we may not say, what a woman or what a man, but we might say, praise God. Thank you, Lord, for that one that you gave to me, that you brought into my life. Marriages, like people, move through different stages. We'll talk a little bit about the different stages And one of the things about keeping a marriage fresh is to appreciate those stages of marriage. Appreciate them, accept them. Don't think that you have to live in the past, that if you have to adjust uh, the relationship between husband and wife, that they have to adjust to new circumstances, uh, new sets of of stress, new, uh, new blessings as well, new phases in your relationship. Don't think that you have to keep what you had in the past in order to have a fresh marriage. Learn to live where God has placed you in whatever stage of your married life you are. Let me deal, uh, first of all, with things that make a marriage go stale. And I'm only going to mention two of them, and I do not pretend at all to have exhaustive uh, studies uh, in, in the uh, different parts of this message. But I I want to bring two that I think are uh, things that we see more and more in our own day, more and more uh, things that uh, are pressures and influences of the society around us. If you talk to uh, people in our church, some of the elders and their families are here and the Sanchez's are here, uh, Joe and Isabel, they will tell you that uh, we've been preaching from Ephesians for about a year now. And we're dealing with uh, the passage in Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul tells the people that they are to uh, no longer live as the Gentiles live. They are to live as in the light. They are to live in love. But they are to put away the Gentile way of living in which they lived, uh, that way of life that they practiced before they came to Christ. So it is with us as well that we are called out of the world. We are called away from our old Gentile way of life. We've been using the word antithesis. We are called to an antithetical way of living, to the way the world lives, to the Gentile pagan way of life. And so much of what can make a marriage go stale, I think, is when we allow ourselves to go back to that Gentile way of thinking and Gentile way of living. One thing I'd like to uh, bring up is uh, something that can make your marriage go stale, like the uh, remnants of the tossed salad that we brought with us. A little rusty now, a little wilted is uh, letting the circumstances of your life control your marriage. Letting the circumstances control your relationship. It's normal, 
after the honeymoon, after a period of time has gone in your marriage, to begin to settle down, begin to have children, raise those children. Your career will develop and uh, grow, no doubt. Many of us these days have both parents working. Sometimes both parents have a career that puts stress and pressure on the family. Um, I don't know if I should... Well, I'll go ahead. We're, we're all friends tonight. If you are in a family where both parents work, both husband and wife have to work, you have... I see your hand. Well, there's a few here. I, actually, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. We, uh, we both work, and that adds stress. And it's very easy for the circumstances uh, involved in a two-career family to overwhelm the relationship and the circumstances begin to run the marriage. You also have children. Three in our case. Actually, I, I think we're probably on, in Orthodox Presbyterian families. We might be a little on the low side. Uh, you have taken seriously the mandate to go and fill the earth, to multiply and fill the earth. Uh, but they add, as much as they are a blessing, they add to the pressure of family life. There are different stages in a child's life. For the first several months, the child is relatively passive. You play with that little infant on your knees, or several of them here at family camp. Uh, grandparents just love us, you know. And just the the baby's going goo goo, and the grandparents are going gaga over the over the baby. And that's great. That's great. You know, you have uh, they're kind of uh, well, they kind of wander around and, and are cute, and <laughs> and they're wonderful. But they're also work, and some of the work can uh, begin to uh, take over the marriage relationship. They get a little older, and they start to need they start to need discipline and training uh, that is more consistent than what you may have done in the past. Uh, you need to uh, start thinking about clothes and feeding them regular food and and all those things, and it's a little more work. Well, if you've got career and family going at the same time, developing at the same time, you also, as many of you are, are active in church. There are responsibilities at church. You may be an elder, a deacon, on the board of trustees. You may have a ministry in the church, teach Sunday school, or just be active in the fellowship of the church. And all those things put demands on your time and your energy. It's very easy to live, to begin living. Rachel. It's very easy to begin living under what has been known as the tyranny of the urgent. I've got to get to that meeting. I've got to go shopping. I've got to go on a business trip. And all those things are have their place of importance, but they, they jump out at us and they, they just have to be done. Right now, and what often happens in the marriage between husband and wife and other members of the family as well, is that the urgent things, the circumstances that are urgent, begin to overwhelm the things that are important, more important, more fundamental for the life of your family. 
One of the uh, things that happens in the family that lets circumstances control your marriage is that a kind of static interference begins. A kind of static, like radio interference. And so the messages between a husband and wife that should communicate love... Excuse me. Girls, you need to go sit down. Okay. Or out. Whatever. The The messages of love that should be given between a husband and wife that should keep their marriage fresh are interfered. There's a static that comes between the husband and wife and that those messages are garbled. There's a less time for communication between a husband and wife. Less time for growing together. We read in Ephesians 5 that the husband is to love the wife and the wife is to respect the husband. They uh, it says in verse 31, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. But when circumstances control the marriage, that man who left his original family to marry this woman who left her original family, they come together and they're almost immediately drawn apart by the pressure of circumstances. They process of growing together is interfered with by static. Another thing that happens is fatigue. It sounds kind of mundane, right? Nothing real spiritual about fatigue. Getting tired is normal, but getting tired can also contribute to a lack of growing together as husband and wife. You're running in five different directions. You ever come home at night and just wonder to yourself, what have I accomplished? And why do I feel so exhausted? What have I done today? I have run ten different directions. I've handled thirty different uh, emergencies. I have talked to a dozen different people and it feels like I've just been spinning my wheels all day long and I get home and I'm exhausted and frankly I just do not have the energy to grow together with my spouse. When the circumstances control your marriage, something even more serious can take place as well. We're so busy dealing with circumstances that, and this I think is especially important for husbands, we simply forget about biblical leadership in our families and we allow the unbiblical priorities of the world to take over. There's a vacuum of leadership. We're either tired We're under the control of the circumstances of life and we're not exercising leadership in our families. We're not setting the priorities for our our wives and our children. We are just out of the picture almost. And there's a leadership vacuum and that vacuum is not going to last long because if you're not there to lead, if you're not there to counsel your family and grow together with your wife, the unbiblical priorities of pleasure, of self, of 
entertainment and having fun, as the world defines fun, are going to take over. You find exactly the opposite taking place as what Paul writes about of the man and the wife becoming one flesh. And of course he's referring to the original purpose in marriage that God had when he ordained the institution back in the Garden of Eden. That a man would leave his family, his wife, father and mother, and be united to his wife. Something else that can make a marriage go stale, and I would even say it can do much worse than that, you can have a marriage that's stale and still have a marriage. But I think this next thing not only makes a marriage go stale, but it can downright destroy it. It's self-centeredness. Self-centeredness is our modern malady. It is the plague of our age. Express yourself. Be yourself. Do your own thing. Fulfill yourself. Get your own self-esteem. We even have self-magazine that you can buy on the, on the newsstands. The philosophy, the, uh, the worldview, it's, it, it doesn't even need, deserve to be called a worldview of our age anymore. It's a self-view. The world is in me, and, and that's what's important. We even are, are seeing that uh, be, uh, reaching uh, uh, philosophical and theological status in our, in our uh, society as it, as it realizes that secularism is void and empty and as it grasps, uh, grasps for a new age uh, kind of uh, uh, mysticism, we see the self being raised up as God. So we have two people who uh, leave their families, leave father and mother, and are united in marriage, and then go about their lives as if the other barely existed. The husband comes into his marriage, and soon he believes that he must fulfill himself. After all, you can't Oh, I just love this. You, you can't love God and your neighbor unless you love yourself. <clears throat> so you, he, he turns to himself, fulfilling his desires first, uh, developing his own personal whatever. And of course, as he does that, he begins to tune his wife out well, she's there, but he's the important one. Sometimes this can uh, result, even in Christian families, in a wrong view of leadership. She exists to serve me. After all, doesn't, isn't that what the Bible teaches, that the wife is to be the uh, suitable helper for the husband? Doesn't she exist to serve my needs? Oh, boy. How we can rationalize. Again, Ephesians 5 gives us the proper perspective on the husband. In verse uh, 25, Husbands, 
love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Not the husband first, but the wife as much as his own body. Just as he feeds and cares for his own body, so he should care for his wife. Now, does that have a a faint echo of, of a basic Old Testament principle? Love your neighbor. Husbands, who is your closest neighbor? Who is your closest neighbor? It is your wife. Love your neighbor. Love your wife. Not an Old Testament principle. It's an eternal principle. One of our versions says the uh, husband should cherish his wife. The word cherish literally means he should keep her warm. (laughs) Getting a little warm in here? (laughs) I was going to preach on Song of Solomon. You should be happy I changed my mind on that. (laughs) So close so united together. His concern is to nourish, care for, keep her warm. Self-centeredness robs us of that vision, that purpose, husbands, in our living, in our families. Self-centeredness also obviously can affect the wife. Her work, if she has a career, or even if she's simply involved in many different activities, uh, they're pursued independently of her husband and her family. Uh, She is not, therefore, fulfilling the purpose for which she was made and for which she got married in the first place. Genesis 1 tells us, or Genesis uh, 2, excuse me, tells us that the wife... Eve was made for Adam as his suitable helper, the one answering to his needs. And if she is taken up with her own self-development and fulfillment in all of her career and activities outside the home, she is not going to fulfill that basic creation purpose. Now, I'm not saying you can't work outside the house. I'm not going to, George Bush would say, Not going to say that. Not prudent. (laughs) But even in her career, she must see her career as serving the purposes and the needs of the family and her husband. Ephesians also adds uh, the passage that we've read tonight begins with uh, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. 
the wife who is becoming influenced by the Gentile pagan view of self-centeredness that is our modern malady is someone who is going to have real difficulty in that verse. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He also adds... He also adds down in uh, verse 33, however, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the, the wife must respect her husband. I think one of the most destructive forces that has come upon our world is not a nuclear bomb. It's not uh, chemical warfare. It's the feminist movement has ripped the heart out of the view or the biblical view of womanhood, biblical role of the wife. And we'd like to say that we're not influenced by it, but you know in your heart of hearts that we all have been touched by it some way in some way. The husband and wife caught up in the self-centeredness of our age are again again going to be growing apart, not together. And you know, I think you've picked up maybe by now that I think one of the keys of the fresh marriage, keeping your marriage fresh, is to do what Paul says here and what the intention of marriage was that the two Separate individuals should be growing together, maturing together, growing together. If you are growing together in the different stages of your marriage, you are growing together in a fresh, alive, vital marriage. I said we were not going to deal with a lot of lists of things to do. And that's true, and I want to look at some of the attitudes that are necessary to keep your marriage fresh. We've looked at, actually, we've referred to them already, and I want to deal a little bit more with them. Uh, First, the attitude of respect. Uh, Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? No, no way, I'm sorry. Which comes first, love or respect? Any any guesses? Anyone want to hazard a guess? It's not a trick question. Well, I'm going to say respect. I'm going to say respect comes first. Uh, It's difficult to love someone that you don't respect. The wife in Ephesians 5 must respect her husband. I don't think that's a one-way street. I think husbands must respect their wives. But, you know, there's something about Ephesians 5 that relates back to the fall. It relates back to Genesis chapter 3 when Adam fell and the Lord came and pronounced the curse on Adam and Eve. When he came to Eve... Well, let's turn there. Genesis chapter 3.
Let's look at uh, let's look at verse 12. The Lord came to Adam and Eve uh, after Adam had eaten the fruit that was forbidden. And the Lord asked, what have you done? Who uh, he saw that they were had uh, taken leaves and sewn them together. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said what? He said a very loving thing, didn't he? A very loving thing. Uh Uh-oh, not my fault, Lord. The woman that you gave me, she she gave me the fruit uh, from the tree and and I, I ate it. That was loving, wasn't it? That was loving. What does Paul say is the responsibility of of husbands? To love. To love. The particular area. Isn't it the the particular area of sin that was immediately manifest in Adam's denial of responsibility for what had taken place and his attempt to, to shift the blame to his wife demonstrated immediately he sinned, he failed to love his wife. And Paul says in Ephesians 5, Husbands, in putting away that Gentile pagan way of thinking and living, love your wives. The woman is also going to have a problem here as a result of her being deceived by Satan. The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord pronounces a curse on the serpent. Down in verse 16, he says to the woman, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Some people say, you know, that's the origin of male headship is that uh, the head of the church, uh, being, being the head of the family, is uh, the sin. It was a, a result of the fall. Uh, Adam became head of the family as a result of the fall. And as we uh, grow in grace and become more sanctified, therefore we should become more egalitarian in our marriage relationships. Uh, we should be outgrowing these effects of the fall. Uh, of course, Adam was created as head, not... Uh, It's not just a result of the fall. But there is a significant change in Adam's headship of the family. And there's a significant change in the way Eve relates to her husband, Adam. He, first of all, is not now the loving head. He's the unloving head of the family. And she now is no longer the willing head helper of Adam, the one who was made to help him, but now she is more or less the unwilling, I hate to use the word slave, servant, but he will rule over you. You do not now have a righteous man with the perfect image of God as your leader, your loving leader, you have someone who now, now has been stained by the guilt of sin, carries with him the corruption of sin, and now he is your ruler. And what does Paul say is the 
responsibility in Ephesians 5 to respect and submit. Seems to me Paul's instructions in Ephesians 5 are geared directly to the point of both the male nature and the female nature uh, that was severely disrupted at the fall. The love and the respect. As we grow, as we mature, as we grow together as husband and wife, we must develop these attitudes of love and respect once again. Respect the office of your spouse. What does that mean? We've heard uh, something this week about offices, you know. The prophet, priest, king, offices of, of, uh, in the Old Testament, the offices in the Christ, even the offices uh, according to some views in the church. Um, the office, the official position. Your husband has an office as the official position of the leader of your family. Your wife, husbands, has an official place that God has given her and ordained for her in the family as your wife. Respect the office. Now, let me, let me say, you know, in our churches, we have the office of elder. And let's take ruling elder. Perhaps you have someone in your church who holds the office of ruling elder that you really don't think is doing a great job in that office. You still must respect the office. If you disagree with the person, the office still deserves respect. And I think that's something we need to carry into our marriage as well. Respect the office. If you disagree with the person, you're having a tough time with the husband or wife, Respect the office of that person that God has ordained for you, for her, for him. Focus on the qualities uh, in respect. Focus on the qualities of your spouse that you value. One of the great passages, of course, in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, Proverbs 31. I want to look briefly it's something that Proverbs 31 says about the, the husband and wife. Now we often think of this passage as the wife, you know, this is the godly wife who has a noble character. Uh, Proverbs 31 beginning at verse 10, not going to read the whole passage, but look at, uh, look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. After uh, this wife of noble character has been described in her diligence and her uh, faithfulness, her nobili- noble character, her, uh, she's, boy, she's every man's dream. But look what happens in verse 28. Her children remember her with a Mother's Day card once a year. No, her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Now this, in in verse 29, is what the husband says. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all.
The writer of this proverb goes on to say, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. That woman of noble character, we don't have city gates today, The city gate was the place for transacting business. The city gate was where the elders of the town uh, met to decide cases. It was the place to be if you wanted to hear what was going on in the town. Hey, have you heard about Joe's wife? She shall be praised in the city gates. Respect is kind of aimed at husbands. Respect your wife for the qualities, the development, the maturity that she shows in her life can be turned around and applied to wives as well. Respect your husbands, not only for the office that they hold, that position as head of the household, leader of the family. Respect them, not only for the office, but for their qualities of life, their maturity, their growing Maybe as you've lived together, you've seen that husband wrestle with a particular weakness and problem, and and you've seen him grow so that he overcomes it. Respect that. Respect it. The other attitude, self-giving love, something that's been mentioned before again. It's the kind of love mentioned in Ephesians 5. It is the perfect antidote to self, the self-centeredness of our day. The self-giving love that is perfectly modeled for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Even going so far as to give himself up for the benefit of his bride, the church so that he can cleanse her and present her on that great day, that great day, when he presents his bride pure, spotless, holy. That's what the husband did for the bride. Husbands, self-giving love, Is that the way we live in our families? It's almost a cartoon character. The husband comes home from a hard day at work, you know, plops down in the easy chair. He doesn't even have to get up to turn on the TV anymore. He can just sit there and, among other things, drive his wife crazy by clicking through the channels, right? Honey, give me a soda. When's dinner going to be ready? Would you keep those kids quiet? Where's the paper? Self-giving love or self-centeredness? But if you come home and instead of doing that uh, what's almost a parody of of the self-centered man come home and uh, 
say, honey, how's your day been? Need help with dinner? Can I watch the kids? Does the baby need a diaper change? I hope not. <laughs> but if it does, all right, I'll take care of it. Need some shopping done? Honey, let's not forget that after we get uh, all the things done that we need to do, that we spend some time together in God's Word. (laughs) Guess what we're going to start doing? Loving, self-giving leadership. Loving, self-giving respect and submission. Two things that will help on the the part of the husband and the part of the wife that will help keep the marriage fresh. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul is actually giving advice on marriage and he's uh, he's really telling people in, in view of the, uh, the times that the church is going through, uh, in view of the, uh, the emergency uh, situation of the first century church, uh, he counsels, you know, that it's probably best not to marry uh, at that time. Yet, he says, in, he, he gives a, a general principle, though, that is true of marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 better not to marry because if you are married here's where your concern should be in verse uh, 32 he says this and I would like you to be free from concern an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs how he can please the Lord but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world what are those affairs of this world how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I don't think Paul is condemning that. I think he's saying if you are married, that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. You should be concerned about pleasing your wife and pleasing your husband. Another attitude to uh, develop, the attitude of appreciation for the current stage of your marriage. I said we would get back to this idea. Marriages go through stages the same way people do. Your marriage may be in the early years of your relationship, the time for a husband and wife to find out more about each other. Uh, You do not know an awful lot about each other before you get married. You find out much, much more as you grow together. It's time for you to grow together and to solidify your relationship. Time to prepare for the coming responsibilities of children. Time to set patterns in your relationship that will endure. Those are the early years of marriage. Time to rejoice with each other. That those early years are very easy to appreciate. 
relatively easy if you've gotten a good start, good uh, counseling and so on, uh, premarital counseling. It's very easy to have a fresh marriage during those years. But those early years of marriage give way in time to a middle period in your married life and your family life when you have children and your careers develop. And it's very easy when you start to enter that middle period of life to long for the carefree days and to think that those were the fresh days of your marriage and now it's not. But a realistic appreciation for that second stage of marriage when you begin to be productive, literally productive in the raising of a family, productive also in your career, productive in your life in the church, as you take on responsibilities in the church and begin to minister to God's people in some particular area in your church. Learn to appreciate that. Value that. See what is good in those middle years. And rejoice together in those productive middle years. But those years, too, will give way to mature years and those mature years are years when the children grow and they leave home one by one. They'll go off to college perhaps, so colleges being as expensive as they are, many of them are beginning to stay home during college years. But eventually they'll find someone of their own and get married, and then we go to, I guess, what we call the empty nest years. And maybe you'll long for those years when you had lots of children running around the house and you were busy with your careers and now you're retired. But learn to appreciate those years. Grow together in those years as well. You have opportunities to do, the, do things that others don't have. We've got uh, a man in our church, I won't name him, but uh, he's semi-retired. Right now, he's managing a halfway house for drug, uh, people coming out of drug addiction and alcohol abuse. And you know what he says? He says, the whole, my whole life has been in preparation for this point. He's at a point in his life when many older, mature people are saying, well, I guess I've lived my life, you know, there's nothing left but uh, to collect my Social Security and wait for the Grim Reaper to appear at my door. And he's saying, I've had my whole life and it's been preparation for today. Appreciate the stage of your marriage. Oh boy, we're late. Yeah, kids are getting tired. Let me quickly go to uh, some things to do to keep your marriage fresh. Not uh, a list, a lengthy list, but first of all, let me advocate or tell you something that the Scripture tells us to do, and that is resolve our conflicts quickly. We are always going to have conflicts between a husband and wife uh, as two people who are putting off the remnants of their sinful nature and more and more putting on the likeness of Christ in the new man, we still are going to have conflicts. And the Bible says, in your anger do not sin, but don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Resolve those conflicts 
quickly. Unresolved conflicts undermine respect and love, and they interfere with communication. If I have an unresolved conflict with someone, whether it's my wife or someone I work with, whoever it is, if I have an unresolved conflict with them, I'm not going to want to talk to them. I'm going to tend to shut myself off from them, shut them out as much as possible so I don't have to deal with this area of conflict. But resolve the conflict. Communicate. Allow your spouse the right to tell you things without you becoming defensive, without you putting up a wall to block the words which you might need to hear. Keep each other up to date with your individual concerns, whether career, family, or church-related. Don't isolate your spouse out of your life. Again, you'll be growing apart, not together. You can also discuss problem areas before they become points of contention between you. And I think as we grow and we live together in a family, we get a pretty good idea of where those tension points might be. Take the initiative and discuss them and resolve them before they become points of conflict in the marriage. Perhaps you don't see eye to eye on how to discipline your children. Perhaps you don't see eye to eye on some other issues, some other things that a family has to deal with. Discuss them and try to resolve them before they become points of contention. Spend time together. Again, this requires getting a hold of the circumstances. Don't be ruled by the tyranny of the urgent, but spend time together. Uh, Roger made a reference the other night to this great thing we've invented called quality time. How many of you really get a turn of your stomach when you hear that word quality time anymore? Yeah. It's time. Time. Yeah, quality time. Time when you're dealing together, you're talking together, you're really uh, growing together. That's great. But there's time that you need to spend with your family, with your spouse. One thing that uh, we have done, and I think this is one thing that has kept a freshness in our relationship, sometimes we relive special times that we've had in our marriage together. Uh, remember the night we got engaged? Do you remember that night? Or that time when maybe it wasn't night? You remember your first Valentine's Day together? Remember that special night you went out for dinner together at a great restaurant and just spent the evening together, the two of you? Sometimes even just talking and remembering those things together can create or recreate that specialness time of being close. Sometimes you'll plan new new events or new special times together as well, and that's good. Let me just close, though, in saying the emphasis that we need to have is on the development and growth, not of a list of things to do, but of the new attitudes that we are told in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, the new attitudes that we are to be developing. 
Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 and following, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The list of things to do won't amount to much without the new attitudes of your mind. The attitudes that we need to have toward that husband or wife that God has provided for us. Let's pray. Father, we again come to you this evening. We, we praise you, Lord, for the gift of marriage, the institution that you have wisely provided for us. We thank you and praise you, Lord, that you have sanctified that institution with a covenant where husband and wife leave their families, their previous families, father and mother, and enter into a covenantal relationship together where they promise to love, honor each other, and obey. We praise you, Lord, that you have provided this for us, and we pray that as we live as husbands and wives in whatever stage of our marriage relationship, that you would enable us to see the qualities of the other person to respect them, to love them, to give of ourselves for the good of the other. We pray that you would help us to model the perfect example that Christ has set for us. For it's in his name we pray it. Amen. It is late, and I think... uh, going to simply dismiss you. There are refreshments being, refreshments being set up outside if you would like to stay.